From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and we are excited to get episode 13 rolling here with a great guest. Before we do, though, I want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by VersaClimber. I'm a huge fan of this as a conditioning option. In fact, it's my favorite conditioning option, and I do it every Sunday uh, myself. And what's great about the VersaClimber is its climbing pattern that's contralateral, which is our human gait motion. Um, so it's how we crawl and how we walk. And while we climb in this pattern reinforces a better moving pattern while we work against gravity. Um, I love it because it's low impact, um, builds a strong core while connecting the, the upper body and the lower body. And you can really train just about any energy system in, a, in that safe, non-impact environment. So first climbers become a mainstay for our work, both with our general population clients, as well as our athletes. Um, and we're excited to announce that they've actually set up a great discount for us. If you go to versaclimber.com backslash Cressy, you can get 10% off on your purchase. Again, that's versaclimber.com backslash Cressy, V-E-R-S-A-C-L-I-M-B-E-R.com backslash C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Um, I definitely encourage you to check this out because it's something that, um, you know, is one of those things that I, I really consider almost like a mandatory part of just about every program that I write for myself. And it's funny, we actually had a VersaClimber at our Massachusetts facility that I fell in love with. And I went back to Florida. We didn't have one at the Florida facility and I missed it so much that... Um, I made sure that we, we put in an order for a new one. So um, definitely a game changer, and I encourage you to, to pick one up at this great price. With that said, today's guest is a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a native of Jupiter, Florida, and was drafted by the Padres in the seventh round out of Nova Southeastern in 2009. He made his major league debut in 2012 and spent 2013 in AAA before he was traded to the Pirates and then immediately on to the Rangers, where he was transitioned into being a starter. After the 2014 season, he was granted his release by the Rangers so that he could go to pitch in Japan uh, for the Giants. He compiled a 31-13 and record with a 2.18 ERA and 62 starts overseas. In the offseason of 2007-2018, he returned on a two-year deal for the Cardinals and quickly established himself as one of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. In the 2018 season, he became an all-star behind an 18-4 record with a 2.83 ERA. He walked only 29 batters in just over 200 innings, over 32 starts. He finished sixth in the NL Cy Young voting, and this past offseason, the Cardinals signed him to a four-year extension. Um, he's also the father of three kids, including, like myself, twins, so we, we share that in common. He's a fishing buddy of mine and has been a CSP athlete since 2015 as well. We're excited to welcome to the show, Miles Michaelis. All right, welcome to the show, Miles. How's it going? Very good. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, I, I said it in the intro that you're the father of three kids, including twins, so we have a, a lot in common. And yeah. I was already a big Michaelis fan before the twins came, but now you're on like a an extra pedestal with the likes of <laughs> you know Joe Maurer and Buster Posey and Roger Federer. So um, I guarantee you that after surviving uh, premature twins, that there is no question I'm going to throw at you that's actually going to be a challenge for you. See, yeah. after 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 something like that, and you know, after being that busy all the time, it's not a, not a whole lot that you uh, you know 
bat your eyes at. Yeah, and you're you're currently doing this interview from a hotel room on the road during the season, which, as a father of twins, that that quiet is pretty glorious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, I miss my family dearly, but you know, I take this time to you know try to be real productive uh, <laughs> on the road. You know, taking care of anything I can take care of online, phone calls, getting things settled. Uh, you know, anything I can do to be, be productive while also relaxing just a little bit. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to get right to it. And I, I've already done your introduction. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about was that you were drafted out of Nova Southeastern. So it was a division yeah. two powerhouse. That was a roster that kicked out, you know, uh, JD Martinez, Mike Fires. So there were, you know, three big leaguers on that roster, but you know, every kid in America dreams of, you know, going to like a big time division one program, whether it's Texas or Vanderbilt or UCLA or whatever it is. And, you stayed close to home and went to Division Two. What led to that decision, and um, you know how differentiated was that experience compared to some of your friends who went Division One? Uh, you know, for me, the decision was, you know, kind of necessity. I wasn't, you know, I was a I was a good high school baseball player. I wasn't really a standout. I didn't have too many standout tools. You know, I was tall and lanky, but didn't throw real hard. Uh, I had some offers to to walk on at a JUCO here or there, or. I had another D2 offer for Flagler College uh, up in St. Augustine. Uh, but really, not a whole lot of Division uh, Division One offers. I mean, you know, kids out of South Florida that throw, you know, 83, 84 aren't, aren't jumping off the map at anybody, really. Um, so it was kind of, you know, one of my only decisions. And I thought, uh, you know, staying where it's warm, you know, close to the beach, I could still fish. Uh I thought that was a good choice for me. Absolutely. How big were you when you finished up high school versus when you were drafted? Um, I would say I was about 6'3", 205 my senior year of high school. And by the time I was drafted, I was, uh, you know, 6'4 and a half, 220. There you go. So that, that made a difference for you. Like velocity-wise, you were 83, 84 when you left high school. Where were you, you know, when draft time rolls around? Uh, 90, 94. There you go. So I think a lot of it was, yeah, I think a lot, you know, I was not big into leg strength in high school. Everybody just wants to kind of bench press and stuff, but I took, uh, lifting a little more seriously, you know, legs. And I think, um, I hit my growth spurt in like my junior year of high school. So I was still pretty awkward, like my, my senior year. And even into my freshman year, I think a, a lot of it was, uh, just a, you know, strength and, and body awareness. Absolutely. You know, in division, division two, it, it doesn't matter. It's just the number develop can have development can happen anywhere, whether it's junior colleges or any of those. So, um, you know, with that said, you know, what's interesting about you too, is, you know, they, you, you were drafted in 2009, you made your major league debut with the Padres in, in 2012. And, you know, you threw pretty well, you know, with good numbers out of the pen. And then 2013 rolls around, you, you kind of got a little cup of coffee. Um, it looks like you were a little bit of an injury later in the year, and then we're only called up the last few days in September. So, you know, I guess my question for you is, you know, going to the big leagues in three years as a college draft is that's a quick ascension, you know, to the show, but what kept you from being that, that regular big leaguer and, and what led to them, you know, DFAing slash trading you at the end of that 2013 season? Uh, I think a lot of it was consistency. I think um, one of the things I always think that they want at the major league level is they want to know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. They don't want a guy that's going to go out there, you know, is he going to be good today or is it going to hit the fan? You know, they, they'd rather know that they're going to get average results than the guy's going to be lights out or he's going to give up 10 runs. 
So I think for me, that was, that was a consistency. And there was, there were some things wrong in my delivery that I think caused, uh, you know, spikes and dips in velocity. If my timing was off just a little bit, uh, I mean, 2012, 2013, um, out of the bullpen, any, you know, days where I'd be anywhere between, you know, 90, 93 would, might be all I have. And then, you know, a couple of days later, it might be, you know, you know, six, seven, eight. So it was, you know, frustrating for me and probably for the organization as well to not know, you know, what they were going to get when I came out of the bullpen. Absolutely. And my command was getting a little erratic at that point. Mm-hmm. Did, did and then in 2014, um, that off season, you were you were traded. I didn't realize to Pittsburgh for for a couple of weeks, and then they moved you <laughs> yeah. on to Texas. Um, you started to transition from relieving to starting. So you did a little bit of both in 2014, but really probably halfway through the season, you were a full time starter. Um, you know, and, and started to to really surge in that regard. What were some of the biggest adjustments that you felt like you had to make between relieving and starting, and you know, and how did it shift your routine around? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of a weird thing. Uh, I went a couple innings, uh, I want to say three innings. We had like a, a rain delay restart the next day and they're like, Hey, you're just going to, you know, we're up by a couple of runs. They're like, Hey, if you can finish the game, finish the game. So I ended up throwing like three innings. Um, you know, I started getting my command back through three innings and then we had someone get hurt and they're like, Oh, you threw three innings, you know, a couple of days ago. How about you, you know, we'll give you like 50, 60 pitches cause I needed a spot starter. So I ended up going, you know, five innings on limited pitches and the organization was like, uh, you know, do you want to start? I said, yeah, of course, because the guy who misses the rotation in spring training goes to the bullpen and the guy who's in the bullpen in spring training misses the bullpen goes to AAA. So I thought I was setting myself up for, um, you know, at least having a spot somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the big thing for me was I added a slider that year. Mm -hmm. It was something I added at the end of 2013 then I started throwing the slider, and it gave me a, a shorter breaking ball to to throw in fastball counts. Mm-hmm. You know, because you you know I was fastball and then a big curveball, which you know it's a big curveball. It, it does pop out of my hand, and hitters can see it. So if I'm not throwing it for a strike, you know, and a fastball count, it's something that they can. I feel like it's easier for them to lay off of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if they're not being, you know, if they're not in swing mode, you know, ball one, ball two, they see the hump right out of the hand, and they're like, ah, oh, it's break ball, I'm not going to swing at it. So if I don't land it, it's a ball. But the slider gave me something to be able to throw for a strike late in the count. And it, it's a harder breaking ball. I feel like a harder breaking ball makes a hitter make up their mind sooner. They don't have time to, to you know, oh, you know, it's up, it's going to break away. It's like, you know, it comes out of the hand pretty flat, and it's firm, and it's like, all right, am I going to swing or not swing? They have to make up their mind pretty quick. And I also never threw much of a changeup, so you know having three pitches, fastball, curveball, slider, allowed me to to start and and kind of try to work on that changeup, which I'm still working on. Absolutely, and I think people overlook the fact that you you get on a five day rotation. There's just four days in the middle where you have an opportunity to test things out and catch play. Um, you know, yeah. I had conversations with Blake trying in about where his cutter came from. It was really just playing catch over the course of time and refining it to the point that it, it came about in game. He was able to do it as a reliever, but a lot of guys can't do that because they're just their arms dragging. They're just focused on being ready that night. Was what, yeah, what, it's tough. How has how your um, you know your routine on that five day changed since you first came up? When you did you struggle with bouncing back between starts, or had the reliever history you know kind of helped you to build that work capacity? Were you able to bounce back quick? 
Um, I think my, my overall fitness level, my, my fitness history, um, I think helps me stay pretty good and bounce back. I mean, I'm a guy who likes to be in the gym. I don't shy away from running. I like to power shag, you know, I'm from South Florida. So the heat doesn't bother me in the summer. Um, you know, really active guy, three kids at home. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a couch potato. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good, um, you know, aerobic, you know, base to, to kind of keep my, my body going and, and the strength and everything. So, um, I think that, that helps. Uh, I think my routine has changed with, uh, how I think training in general changes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So 2014, the season ends and you, you, you take a, a leap of faith and you make the move to Japan. Um, so I don't think a lot of people realize that when you made that move, like you were, you were 26 and you were in the big leagues. Most people 26 in the big leagues. It's like, all right, I'm just going to bust my butt. I'm going to get my 10 years and, you know, get pension. And, you know, you took a, a big gamble by leaving when you had kind of started to establish yourself. You were kind of a fifth starter in Texas that year. Mm-hmm. What, what went into the decision to go to Japan? How did you wind up there? Um, I mean, it, there was so many, so many different, moving parts and, and things there. I mean, one of them was, yeah, you know, I was a fifth starter on a, on a Texas team where they had must accept the record to that point for injuries. I mean, everybody was injured, everybody was hurt. So I was the fifth starter. You had a couple starters coming back, you know, at that point they were still kind of the Texas Rangers. That was like their first down year. Um, you know, they went out and got Cole Hamels that winter. Like I knew that they were going to go out and sign, at least one or two free agent pitchers. And that was going to leave me as, you know, the long guy in the bullpen or minor league depth. Um, you know, barring an, an incredible spring. And, you know, a lot of players know that if you're not a guy who's kind of penciled in there mm-hmm. at the beginning of spring, it's really hard to, you know, you know, there's guys every year that throw, you know, don't give up any hits in spring and they end up going to triple a because, you know, they just, they just went out and got a few guys for the rotation or, you know, so-and-so was their first pick a couple years ago and there's not a lot you can do. So, you know, and this was a, a chance for me to make some guaranteed money. I just got married, you know, want to start a family. I didn't want to be the guy who passed up a million dollars and then all of a sudden was out of a job or, you know, in the minor leagues for the next couple of years. So, you know, to get a good chunk of money kind of right away, you know, pay off the house. Hey, in the worst case scenario, if baseball doesn't work out, at least our house is paid for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife and I can go get, you know, regular jobs or, or something like that. Absolutely. So, um, something interesting. I, we first met up in the fall of 2014. Um, mm-hmm. you went, you went to Japan, uh, after that season. So we, we started up in, in the fall of 2015. And I can remember, um, you know, talking with you when we first chatted, you were, you were talking about your arm action and, you know, it used to have that kind of hitch in it. Um, and then really the 2015, 16 offseason, you know, you had a little kind of like cranky shoulder would get sore between starts and not bounce back. Mm-hmm. It was partially because that, that arm action was kind of hitchy. It was very deep. Um, I know that that 15, 16 off season before you headed back to Japan was when you started to change some of those things around. Um, you know, talk, walk us through kind of like what you dealt with, with it, both in terms of what the arm action led to in the soreness, but also in, you know, inconsistency with the pitches and then what you did to, to kind of reshape it and make it better. Yeah, um, you know, little hitchy, you know, my my right arm would drag and, you know, something that, you know, I, I got away with because of my base of strength, you know, I was strong enough and quick enough to kind of rip it over at the last second. 
but when you're when you're flying open and doing everything you can to to pull your arm through so it doesn't you know fall off back there <laughs> uh, you know a lot of you know a lot of chest pec uh and ended up being like my my bicep that kind of flared everything up that bicep and uh rotator cuff just everything was trying so hard to to pick up the slack because it was a you know it's probably a pretty inefficient movement pattern which i think also cost me some velocity it cost me some movement uh cost me consistency of strikes i mean if i'm if my head's flying out to the side and i'm and i'm trying to locate and see my target and and that's inconsistent you know how how much do i have to yank my head mm-hmm. you know and then i'm i'm yanking my neck and you've got your you know your scalenes and everything just it, it put a lot of stress on everything unnecessarily. There's enough stress, uh, stress in throwing a baseball, and to add stress to that is never a good idea. Yeah, I think people. I, I always joke that you might be like the most effortless, like 97 to 99 when you're going good in baseball. It just it looks like the ball's coming out really easy, but it, it wasn't always like that. There was a lot more. Um, there was a lot more range of motion to control uh, in, yeah. in the past. So it's it's definitely cleaned up a lot. So. Um, you know that that leads to kind of the discussion of three years in Japan. Um, in the third league, you third year you led the league in innings and strikeouts. Um, you know what are the things that you learned in in Japan, and and how did it make you better? Um, I mean, I I learned a lot in Japan, a lot from from observing a a little bit from their mindset. Um, just when you when you put yourself in a situation where it's it's so different from what you're used to, you're you're forced to. Adapt, you know. At, at the very least, you're forced to adapt just enough, um, you know, to, to be successful. I, and I think not just the the physical adjustments, but mental adjustments. I mean, when I went over there, a lot of guys go over there, you know, angry and upset. Like, oh, I want to be in the major leagues. You know, I'm not a Japanese baseball player. I'm a major league baseball player, and that that wasn't my attitude. I said, Hey, I'm I'm in the Nippon Professional Baseball League. I'm going to be the best. Nippon professional baseball player that I can be. Mm-hmm. So you adjust to that game a little bit. You know, they throw a lot of break. It, they're, you know, a lot like here now, a lot more break. When I got over there, when I was in Japan, you see a lot more breaking balls for strikes, mm-hmm. um, which you're starting to see here more because guys are starting to just want to tee off on fastballs. So really honing in my breaking ball command was huge over there. It's not that every fastball gets knocked out of the park. But every fastball was a, you know, was a single. And also, you know, you start missing with fastballs, you're giving up singles, you're going to start giving up runs. So adjusting to the game over there, um, one of the coaches uh, there said some some neat things to me once. Uh, you know, he came in. I struggled my first, like, month in Japan. He, he came and watched me throw a bullpen, and he said, hey, you know, in, in the bullpen, you look, you know, so relaxed and – and so calm, like you stay in, in your, he called it, you know, my box, you know, physically in, in a bullpen, you know, my delivery was a little more calm. I wasn't flying off to the side so much. Um, and everything was, you know, kind of right where I needed it to be and in the game. You know, you're falling off to the side a little bit and, you know, maybe you're, you're trying to do too much. And uh, whether he meant it, you know, as, as, in a physical standpoint or mental standpoint, I kind of took it as both is that when I'm out there pitching, you know, Know your limits, do what you do best, and you know don't try to overthrow. Stay, you know, keep your delivery in this little in this little box. You know, don't don't come flying off the mound. 
you know, if I stay in that, if I stay on the mound in that, in that little box there, you know, there's a, you know, if you give me a 10 foot rectangle and said, stay in this, when I'm pitching, you know, keeps everything going towards the plate, you know, it's a little more efficient. And then mentally, uh, you know, I don't throw a hundred, don't try to throw a hundred or, you know, I don't have this pitch, but don't, you know, don't try to make anything better than it has to be. Just Mm -hmm. stay, stay within yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, over there, obviously, I mean, I think it was literally like worked out. It was like 188 innings and 187 strikeouts or something like that your last year. Yeah. Um, people don't realize what a big deal that is. They, they don't strike out in Japan. Like you don't see guys going out and punching out 17 guys in a complete game um, like you'll occasionally see over here. It, it, that's a really big deal because, you know, effectively they pride themselves on, you know, on not striking out and playing that small yeah. ball. Did it help you a lot with respect to fielding your position, holding runners, things like that, knowing that a lot of those guys are going to try to slap a single, steal second, and, you know, sack bunt and score on a sack fly or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, they're big, uh, big runners in Japan. Uh, they, they like to run a lot, and, you know, they're quick. They, they bunt, they slash, they, you know, they slap the ball around. You got to be there to, you know, you got to get over to cover first base a whole lot there. Um, and they take um, the pitcher's, uh, take some defense almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, something you don't see here in the major leagues a whole lot. Um, but you know, PFPs on a, on a very regular basis over there. So if you're not good at fielding, I think you, you get good at fielding. Well, and that's, that speaks to my next point is that, um, and I'm not sure if you even realize this, you rank second among national league pitchers in range factor, third in putouts, and fourth in assists. So, um, you know, whether guys like doing PFPs or not, there's something to be said about fielding your position, holding runners, doing things like that to, to be successful at the highest level, especially, you know, you're not a guy that punches out 15 per nine, you know, the last year it was six or seven and change. And, um, so, you know, are, you're pitching to contact a fair amount and need to leverage that ability to get ground balls, right? Absolutely. You know, and if you're, you know, you're in the zone getting weak contact, um, you know, that's, you know, you got to be ready to field your position. You know, you're you're pitching in, you're pitching away out of the zone. A lot of soft tappers right back to you. Uh, you got to be on your toes. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, kind of jumping forward to to being back here in the states. Um, obviously, it was a, a breakout year last year in 2018. One of the things that, that I think is interesting about you is that you you led all of Major League Baseball in first pitch strike percentage. Um, it was 71 percent of your at bats began with a first pitch strike. Um, you know, it's interesting. There was a there was a Wall Street Journal card, Journal article last year that talked about guys like Kyle Gibson, Patrick Corbin, who literally had had career you know resurgences because they threw fewer strikes than ever. You know, they threw a lot more. Uh, you know basically balls that looked like strikes until the last second. What is, what is the first pitch strike? Like what's, what's your perspective on it? Um, you know, what's the, what's the goal as you, as you kind of start a hitter? Oh, oh, why does that matter so much for you? Um, you know, get ahead, stay ahead. Um, you know, all the, all the computer models and, and everything doesn't take into account what a hitter, you know, what a hitter thinks and how a hitter feels, you know, all of a sudden a hitters, you know, you know, boop, you know, strike one. Okay. Well, now I only have two left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I gotta be a little aggressive. I can't let anything go. And, you know, a lot of times of hitters first swing of the game, you know, it's their first time seeing a ball off. you. It was my first year in the league last year. So no one had really seen, you know, my first time in a while. And, you know, my, my look was a little different. So no one had seen me. So I, you know, I, I probably knew that I could get away with, with some stuff, uh, you know, maybe I'm not getting away with it now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe want to be a little more, you know, second time through the league here, maybe be a little more fine, you know, first mm-hmm. pitch. Yep. But, you know, you, you look at percentages, you look at numbers, you know, batted balls in play average. Uh, you know, if you throw, you know, if you start throwing balls and get ball four, you know, guys on base every time you throw ball four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who leads the league in batting average on balls in play is what, like three something? Mm-hmm. So if I take the best guy and say, here's a, here's a strike somewhere, he's probably going to be out seven out of ten times, eight, you know, six out of ten times. But if I throw a ball four, it's 100%. Yeah, and if, what a lot of people don't realize is that that same kind of mindset is what allows you to throw 200 innings when, like, nobody throws 200 innings anymore. There are only 13 pitchers in baseball who, who hit the 200-inning mark last year. That was the lowest number in, like, well over 100 years. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I put up a tweet the other day. It was like only 13 pitchers made 33 starts in 2018. And even if you have 33 quality starts, that still leaves you two innings short uh, of actually hitting that number. So, you know, if you're going to have a dud, you've got to cancel it out with a complete game. So for you, um, you know, how much does that first pitch strike, you know, just allow you to go deeper into games and, and save that bullpen? Yeah, I mean, you know, Boom, you get strike one, all of a sudden they're on their toes and they got to, you know, they, they, the hitter has to be a little more aggressive. And I throw a good pitch, uh, you know, 0 1 and get a ground ball. I mean, quick outs are quick outs are the best outs. You know, if I get a guy 0 2 and I really try to strike him out and I, you know, maybe I, I hang the 0 2 breaking ball, but he pops it up center field, I'm fine with that. Um, so when you first came up, uh, pitch, pitch mix was, were you throwing both the two seam and the four seam when you were first drafted? Yeah, I think I, 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 I've always thrown that two seamer, uh, arm side. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm starting to throw it a little more, uh, glove side, you know, front hip ride back, Mm -hmm. um, the more comfortable I get with it, but I've always been arm side just cause that's really the only place I've been able to get consistent movement on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, was that that arm side heater and then the four seamer away? So, so you had the two seam, the four seam, and the the loopier curveball. Were you throwing a changeup when you first came out of college, or was that something that took time to to refine? I mean, I was throwing. I've always thrown it, but it's just it's always my, you know, least. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's my, you know, yes, it's probably my worst pitch, but it's also the pitch I don't have a whole lot of confidence in because mm-hmm. it's something I've struggled with. You know, the changeup is something I've struggled with forever. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting now that you're, if you look at your pit, pitch mix in 2018, 20, 27% four seams, 22% two seams, 26% sliders, and 21% curveballs. It was just 4% changeups. But, um, you know, these are all like interesting dynamics. Effectively, you have four pitches that you're confident in that you can command in, in just about any count. Yeah. And, and that's what makes a 200 inning starter in the big leagues. So let, let's have a little fun with it. If you had to pick a sound for your four seamer, what would it be? Um, like that, you know, you, when you put that piece of bacon right on the griddle for the first time, just like a like a nice sizzle, <laughs> a nice low hiss. What about the two seam? Um, more of like um, I've got this like a like a handsaw, like a like a like a little buzzsaw maybe because I get a lot of broken bats. Uh, on the two seamer inside, I like it. What about the cl- yeah. the, the slider? Uh, the slider. <laughs> and I'm, like and I'm only asking because we did this in the off season one day, and it was so entertaining that I have to share it with the world. <laughs> uh, the slider would make like the 
like a, a car with its horn on going by, like, <laughs> like that, maybe. All right, and the, the big loopy curveball? <laughs> like a, <laughs> and what about the changeup? Uh, like the three stooges, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. All right, we'll, we'll have to do a, a sound draw on this for the for the highlight reel. Um, so, all right, joking aside, let's let's talk about differentiating pitches. You throw a two seam and a four seam, and from a pure like analytical perspective, you know, in terms of just numbers, they aren't massively different, right? So, in 2018, your four seam was average at 91.4. It was like a 2309 spin rate. Your two seam was 93.5 at 2218. So, velo and spin rates are relatively comparable but they they profile incredibly different in terms of action and how you use them so you know i guess the question for me is uh you know is it is it trust you know trust the grip and let it rip or do you have certain cues that you're telling yourself when you're throwing a four seam versus throwing a two seam uh when i'm throwing a four seam i really want to make sure i stay behind it mm-hmm. and on top of it and then when I'm throwing a two seam, I want to make sure I stay on top of it, but I also want to make sure that I stay on the inside of it just a little bit. So you will change the cues a tiny bit. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause the last thing I want to do, you know, sometimes that two seamer, you know, guys have a tendency that ball will sometimes just cut erratically. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I don't stay where I need to stay on it. Absolutely. So, uh, actually, you're you're facing Scherzer this time around, and one of Max's big lines is that you always want to learn one breaking ball before you learn two. Um, would you agree with that? Did did having that really good feel for that loopier curveball did it make it easier to to learn that hard slider, or do you think that hard slider is just having really good arm speed and like trusting the grip and let it eat? Um. So how I found my slider is, I took kind of my curveball grip. I you know a little more uh, turned it a little bit in my hand as to be not like a straight curveball grip, but I would hold the curveball and I kind of told myself, okay, well how I, I wanted to shape the curveball. Cause I wanted like a, you know, that hard, like tight downer curveball that didn't have a big loop in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well how late in my delivery can I turn the curveball? How late can I turn it and still get some action on it? Mm-hmm. And that ended up being, you know, just, turn it just a little bit at the very last second and it's a slider there you go so you know are, are you consciously shaping that slider differently because i've seen it 90 and i've seen it 85 at times can you do different things with it yet or is it is it to you still just that throw the crap out of it make it as hard as i can uh depends on the day if there's days where the feel doesn't seem as great it's just kind of a you know a grip it and rip it i'm looking for one consistent ball flight and then there's days i feel like i can shape it really well you know, that, that up and in cuttery type spin or that back foot, um, you know, that back foot kind of downer, you know, a little more depth to it. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk about the five day rotation. It's, it's evolved over the course of time. Give me a little feel for what your five day rotation is both in terms of, of training and throwing. So let, let's start with throwing. So you go out and you make a start on day zero. What does day one, two, three, four look like leading to the next start? Uh, day one is probably no catch. Um, if I find myself outside or during batting practice, I may make 20 throws, you know, Hey, nothing's broken. Okay. Shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of need to, to, to throw after, after that. Mm-hmm. 
I, you know, you throw a hundred some odd pitches. What I need to throw more the next day. I mean, you run a Boston marathon. Uh, do the guys go out there and they, they go for a light jog afterwards? I agree. Couldn't agree more. I think it's the least productive day of throwing for most guys. Yeah. And then day two, what, what goes down? Uh, maybe get out to like 9120, stretch out a little bit more, get my arm moving, uh, you know, get the arms feed back, uh, rhythm and timing, uh, but not too much. And then day three uh, is the bullpen day. Mm-hmm. Will you stretch so, it? Will you long toss before your pen? Stretch it out more. I will. I will stretch it out. Get it going a little bit more. Uh, just because you know, I, I, I want to get the arm speed going so it's there, and I'm not trying to force arm speed when I get on the mound for my mm-hmm. for my breaking balls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I want the arm speed to kind of be there, but at the same time, not. You know, I don't want to blow it out on the mound. I'll kind of you know get a couple of real good throws in long toss so I can. So I can have a little more feel on the mound, but I want that you know that arm speed to be there at the end so it snaps. Absolutely. And when you're doing those, uh, will how much will you do in terms of spinning your breaking balls, just playing catch? Will you wait until you get off the mound to work on it, or do you like to see the shape, or not so much shape, but the spin of them just playing catch? Uh, yeah. You know, when, when you when you bring it back in short, um, I'll throw some breaking balls. Um, you know, sometimes the guy wants to get down. I don't necessarily need them down. I just want to, f- I just want to feel the ball, how it spins as it leaves my hand. That's awesome. And then what about day four after you've thrown your pen? What's uh, what are you doing the day before the start? Uh, light toss, maybe 91, 20, you know, get a couple good licks in and then maybe come in and, you know, a uh, little bit of feel for spin and then uh, take it in, you know, get my couple, couple light jogs in and, and I'm out. And then what about the training side of things? How much are you lifting, sprinting, um, doing stuff between outings? Uh, big lift the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. You know, it's the day that, I, you know, if I want to lift heavy, if I'm upset, I can lift heavy weights, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is always fun. It feels good. And, you know, depending on how, how my legs are feeling, sometimes it's, um, you know, a nice 15 minute bike ride. They're big into the, the, the BFR here. So I do that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I do that stuff, but if the weather's nice outside, I really do like to, uh, you know, I know it's old school and it apparently isn't even the best thing for you, but I like a nice you know, 15, 20 minute jog, go run around the stadium, run around the warning track, you know, mm-hmm. cruise the concourse, maybe get up to the top of a stadium, you know, see, see the view. Yep. Clear your but head I, a little bit. Yeah. Get a good, get a good playlist going. There you I go. Like that. And then, um, you, so you have the day one lift. What about uh, two, three, four? What are you doing on those days? Um, I'll do some intermediate stuff there. You know, obviously, like all my shoulder work, uh, a lot of stretching. Um, I will do a light lift on my bullpen day, mm-hmm. uh, mostly like single leg stuff, and then uh, you know, upper body stuff, lighter, but make sure I get through a real full range of uh, full range of motion. Absolutely. And then are you just laying low on day four other than your catch player? Will you sprint or power shag or anything like that? Um, a shag, but not crazy shag. You know, you know, the, the, they'll recommend, you know, Hey, you're starting tomorrow. Why don't you run like 10 light sprints? I'll make sure that I get after at least 10 fly balls. Okay. All right, so changing gears now, uh, you get to throw to one of the best catchers of all time. And, you know, a lot of people listening on this are probably pitchers, coaches, parents, things like that. But there are definitely some catchers listening to this. What what makes Yadier Molina so good? What What is your experience with him? How has he helped you? 
I mean, his, I mean, his, his physical attributes from a catching standpoint are a joke. I mean, his, his hands, you know, he get, you know, he, he beats, you could cross him up and he'll beat your ball to the spot and frame it. It's, it's a, you know, it's an uncanny ability that, you know, probably him and not many others have, um, you know, and then obviously his arm and how, how quick he is. Uh, so from a physical standpoint, you know, obviously he's, he's off the charts. Um, but from a mental standpoint, you know, once, you know, it took me a while to, to even come close to his, you know, type of awareness as he's calling the game. I think it started with, okay, you know, yeah, it's kind of fastball and throw fastball. Yeah, it's kind of curveball and throw curveball. You know, it took me like probably almost half the season to be like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Because his his game awareness and, you know, kind of how he recognizes the the pace of the game and how hitters react to certain things, um, I think is what is what sets him apart um big time from from everybody else. Absolutely. So what what are if you could give some advice to, to catchers out there to progress in the direction of Yadi or Molina, what what do you say to them? Is it just go out and receive a ton? Is it does he do a really good job of building rapport with his pitchers, of communicating with you and asking what you want, what you need and what he sees or what what are what are the things that you can tell the up and coming catchers on that front? <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, if you want to be like him, good luck. He, he does everything. <laughs> he does everything well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, start with being, you know, being extremely well-rounded mm-hmm. uh, and work extremely hard at everything. I mean, you see the work he puts in um, in the video room. I mean, he's you know, he's got nine nine or ten gold gloves, couple platinum gloves, and you know, he'll still be out there early. Every once in a while, throwing the bases, you know, doing this, doing that, getting all his, you know, just doing all his fundamental stuff in spring training, you know, spring training kind of, you know, you see all the catchers, you know, including Yachty, like back to the basics type stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, don't, don't ever lose that foundation. um, You know, what, what makes him great. All right. All right. So now we're going to go to the lightning round. Um, so this is where you can kind of give the, the short responses to a collection of questions. So what advice would you give to a teenage Miles Michaelis? Uh, just stick with it, you know. Uh, you know, you, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset. But stick with it. Keep your head down and, and keep working hard. And always make sure you're having fun out there because if yeah. you're not, if you're not having fun out there, then there's no point being out there. What about minor league Miles Michaelis? Uh, be a little more responsible. <laughs> <laughs> now that that comes with parenting too. So yeah, um, um, <laughs> you know, be a little more responsible. Don't ever blame an organization for for you're not moving up or not getting called up. Uh, you know, if you don't like it, play better. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I, I think I'm going to know your answer, but we've had a couple of different answers from the guys that we've had. What's more important, stuff or command? Command. All right. All right. Favorite teammate of all time and why? Of all time? Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm going to upset so many people. Um, my favorite teammate. Can I say my teammate in life? Can I say my wife? Can I do Ooh, that? That's very well played, especially with Mother's Day coming up. You yeah. a- you absolutely can say that. Lauren's a rock star. Uh, all, okay, yeah. All yeah. twin moms, and we'll give a we'll give a special shout out to R.J. Alvarez as your fishing partner. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's never been uh, on my team. Um, I've had some great friends over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got some great friends on my team right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean our 
are, you know, Wainwright's just an awesome guy. I spent a lot of time hanging out with John Gant, Waka, Wong. Uh, we're all going to see the Avengers in Chicago. We got a great group of guys here. Nice. Um, you know, everyone on the team here is so nice. Uh, coming up in San Diego, I'd say my, my two best buddies in San Diego were uh, uh, Andrew Kashner and Brad Brock when I was up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, get to see Brad in, in Chicago and Kashner's over in Baltimore right now. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a likable guy. You make you're like C Shack. You make friends wherever you go. It's yeah, just, that's who you I are. In, when I was in Texas, I lived with uh, Derek Holland. Derek Holland's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome dude. Super funny. I mean, you see him do the the Harry Carey stuff. Yep. Uh, <laughs> on TV, he's an he's an awesome guy too. People forget it's like uh, it's such a small world in baseball. It's like the Kevin Bacon game for everybody though. <laughs> Um, all right. So, favorite who do you, who do you like to watch? What pitchers will you actually sit down and watch, and and why do you like to see them? Uh, I mean, I get to watch one of them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, watching Scherzer throw is always is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, you know, it's fun to watch. You know, some of the guys on my team throw. You know, it's fun to watch Hicks throw. I mean, he throws so hard, and you know, Way knows. You know, we always see him him thinking out there. Uh, the way he pitches. Uh, guys on another team like Watson Scherzer throw. Uh, I mean, Kershaw's a given. I mean, he, he starts landing that big curveball and watching guys kind of kind of fight that thing is is a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's a lefty, him or Rich Hill, guys with those big breaking balls are fun to watch. Absolutely. The big breaking ball is fun because you just see a lot of odd reactions from hitters. Guys get really frustrated with it. Uh, it's fun to see hitters get upset. Absolutely. All right. So this is one. I'll, I'll give you my example, and you got to give me yours. The most okay. anno- the most annoying or overused thing people say to you when they find out that you have twins, because everyone wants to tell you about their friend who has twins. They want to yeah. they want to ask you if twins run in your family, and yeah. then they always use the hackneyed expression "double trouble." <laughs> what What's the most annoying one that you've heard? Uh, I mean, we walk. You know, if we walk through the mall with the twins, and then Lily. Uh, we're not sneaking around anywhere. We're, 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 we're pretty loud coming at you. Um, but you get that. Oh, you guys must be real busy. <laughs> no. oh, you must be busy. Oh, you uh, have your hands full. You must have your hands full. You know, like, the one yeah. I, I'm curious about, do you, Duh. do you, do you get the people that are like, Oh, are they identical? And you have a boy and a girl. Have you gotten that much? <laughs> yeah. I think that's just people that everyone wants every set of twins. They see to be identical. Cause yeah. they probably think it's like a, it's like a neat thing. Yeah. In reality, all parents of multiples want you to do is hold the door for us while we're pushing the double stroller. That's it. Yeah. 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 Uh, We're real busy. Hold the door for me. Let's go. All right. That's all I've got for today. So, uh, Miles, they can find you on Twitter. Solid Twitter game at last one for Miles. And I I bullied you into getting on Instagram this offseason. I'm I'm actually really proud of myself. It's at magic underscore Michaelis 39. Um, This is a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you coming on and and taking the time and go out and give uh, give them hell tonight. Anytime, anytime. Glad to be on the on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support. And we'll see you next episode.